Today is not just Baptism Sunday, to which I'm very excited for. Today is not just bringing in members, that's something I'm very excited for. But today, as we've already said, is Reformation Sunday. And for us, as Sovereign Grace Church, it's Covenant Sunday. On September 27th, 2015, a group, of some of which were, are here this morning, gathered for the first time. I can't even remember where that was. And we met as a group of Christians. We didn't know at that moment, at that time, exactly what the Lord was leading us to do, but we knew we couldn't forsake one another or ignore that it was the Lord's day. So we gathered, and we continued to gather Sunday after Sunday until it became abundantly clear through much prayer and discussion with some wonderful men that the Lord was leading us to plant the church. We began the hard work at that point of plowing the soil of planting a church. From there, we, we, we had to turn to what were we going to look to as our guiding principles or our guiding values and virtues, and we turned to the Scripture. We looked to Ephesians, and we preached through Ephesians for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks in order to see clearly the, the glory of God in the gospel, to be healed by the gospel, that it would wash over us and renew our hearts and minds and, and draw us to him, and that we would see the grace of God in the gospel, that we would find and see the, the beauty of being the church as one body in Christ. Then on Sunday... February 28th, 2016, and I believe this was in the midst of going through Ephesians, all those who desired on that Sunday, those who were led by the Lord, we entered into covenant, a verbal agreement that day together, and so that we could, uh, so that then at that point we could start taking the Lord's Supper together. We needed to start uh, taking the ordinances together as, as the Lord continued to bind us together as a church. And then eight months later, on October 30th, 2016, now prepared, a soil that had been cultivated, we were now ready to enter into covenant, this time into membership, where we joined together in membership, where we renewed and reaffirmed our commitment to the church. Not an organization, clearly it wasn't a building at the time, or anything else, but what it was is we renewed our affirmation and commitment to together, to one another. Because when we say the church, we mean one another, those who are in membership. And then we signed the covenant, which we have this morning, as an outward symbol of the commitment that we have for one another, according to the covenant. At that point, we considered ourselves a legit church, covenanted together, a covenant community, a church in Statesboro, Georgia named Sovereign Grace Church. Today marks four years since we have covenanted together. That may not seem like a long time, and in the scope of human history, it's not a long time. In the scope of church history, it's not a long time. And maybe even in your own personal experience, four years really isn't that long of a time. But over these four years 
oh, how we have seen the hand of God. We have seen his faithfulness. We have seen his care. We have seen his love. We have seen his overwhelming provision. We've seen his grace. We've seen his mercy. We've seen his salvation. We've seen his discipline. We have felt his discipline. We have seen and felt his maturity and his growth in the church. So it's days like this, then, that we can stop together. We can look back over a dry riverbed and pick up rocks and build some monuments together and reflect on our Lord, our Heavenly Father, who has given us this church, this people, Sovereign Grace Church. That's why I've read from Ephesians 3 this morning. But all of this, as a church and how we do church, didn't start or didn't come out of a vacuum. It didn't come out of, out of thin air. We didn't just dream it up. Our church, although only now five years old as long as we've been gathering together, has much deeper roots than just five years. Our history may only be a few years, but we stand on the shoulders of churches and brothers and sisters who have gone before us. Each year around October 31st, we we like to take a few moments sometimes during our gathering and we observe the Protestant Reformation. Reformation Day, we say. We sing the song. We sang it earlier and the first song that we sang was Reformation Song where each verse, including the chorus, highlights the, the doctrinal reformational truths that were recovered during that time and how those same truths still fuel us today. The Reformation started with one man a German monk named Martin Luther, on October 31st, 1517, on All Hallows' Eve. And on that day, he nailed a poster of 95 theses or statements on the church door in Wittenberg. That was the major hashtag of the day. That's how it was the, the community bulletin board. And these 95 theses, they were, an, they were an invitation to the church and to its leaders to a, to a public debate to discuss these ongoing abuses of the church that he recognized and saw and says, we have, to, we have to deal with these. We have to change these. We have to try to figure out, does it work with the scriptures or not? And in particular, one was the selling of indulgences which means that for a little fee, you can come to the priest or you can come to a particular individual and you can give them money and you can buy a loved one out of purgatory. You heard me right. You could buy someone out of purgatory. In a sense, it was a church fundraiser by the Pope, if you want to know historically, to build and fund and decorate the Sistine Chapel. Michelangelo was not cheap, and that's what it cost. And so Luther's statements were, were, were not just inflammatory, but they really weren't inflammatory, to be honest with you. They were just to call them to discuss. But he hit them where it hurt them the most, and that is in their wallet. It pointed it out the most, the hypocrisy. The local bishop started to oppose him, and then up the line, including cardinals and even the pope himself, began to, to oppose Luther. And this is when Luther's resolve began to grow and, and grow, and he began to study the scriptures more and more, and he began at that point to go right after the church's false doctrines and even attack, attacking the infallibility of the pope. And as you can imagine, that did not go over very well. 
Luther faced much opposition, death threats, and even eventually excommunication from the church, which eventually came. But he was the spark that was already there, the kindling that had already been set around Europe, that had been longing for change and longing for freedom and liberty from the corruption of the Catholic Church. These people then began to gather together, these reformers and these people that were coming out of the church, they began to gather together and they began to do essentially what we did. We gathered together and then planted churches and started sharing the gospel around Europe. Notably, though, the Reformation led to a rediscovery of knowing the Word of God and that alone being the church's source of authority alone. And from Luther, who was the spark, it spread like wildfire across Europe as the Word of God became accessible to everyone. It spread to Switzerland and England and France and Netherlands and Germany and Scotland. October 31st, 1517 is now just a symbolic significance, just a, a date that we look at as being that's where it began because that's where the Reformation began to change the world. 500 years later, though, does it really matter? Does it still matter? Well, to us it does. Because without a doubt, if you're a Baptist, Methodist, Anglican, Congregationalist, Presbyterian, Reformed, Lutheran, etc., if you are Protestant, then this is your roots. But the Reformation wasn't just about separating from the Catholic Church. It wasn't about being divisive or unnecessarily nitpicking of particular things about the Church. At the heart, the Reformation was a dispute about how we know God. How we know God and then how we can then be right with Him. To the Reformers, it was so important that they get these things right. And it's so important that we get these things right because eternal uh, salvation in our eternal future was at stake. Our eternity was at stake. There's nothing more important to the reformers than assurance in the, in the face of divine judgment. And there was nothing more loving than to proclaim a message of grace that would give eternal life to those who responded in faith. We believe the Reformation still matters today because eternal life still matters. And if Luther was the spark of the Reformation then the match that he was holding in his hand was the Word of God. It was the Word of God that lit Luther on fire to see how the only authority that the church can have is in Scripture alone. The Bible itself is the only authority for the church. Not men, not popes, not priests, not bishops, not councils, not church history, but God's Word alone. The foundation of the Reformation was sola scriptura, scripture alone. It is our only authority. It is what shapes us as a church, and it tells us how we are saved and right with God. Luther then described that as the article by which the church stands or falls, then, is the justification by faith alone. The means by which we are declared righteous before God 
is only through faith alone. And we are saved only by grace alone. There is no merit, there is no accomplishment, there is no good work that we or you or anyone else can do to make yourself right before God except by His grace alone. And we believe and know from the scripture that our salvation, our justification, was not accomplished by our works, but it was accomplished by the person and work of Jesus Christ alone. And we can add nothing to it, and we can take nothing away, and therefore it is for the glory of God alone. We sang that this morning. And the Reformation is still important for us today, not just something as we look back to, but it's something that we are still doing. It's an ongoing project in the church. In fact, one of the slogans during the Reformation was Semper Reformida, means always reforming. Or a better way to say it is always being reformed. And what are we being reformed by? We're being reformed by God's word. By God's word. We're not reforming in a sense by, by, by progressively looking at Christianity or culture or the church and then shaping it according to those things. Rather, Semper Reformida is a continual movement back to God's word. What really blessed me this week was to watch and hear one of our young men expound Galatians 3 from God's word faithfully proclaiming justification by faith alone in Christ alone. That is a perfect example of semper reformida happening in Sovereign Grace Church. That we are generation after generation being raised up and discovering anew the gospel for ourselves. Yeah, we're weird. We talk about the Reformation. We talk about history. Because these things matter. Because salvation matters. Eternity matters. And we understand as a church, a covenant church, church that we are in covenant membership together, that we have deep roots into these truths as a church. So therefore, it is by these roots that we first planted the church. And we asked ourselves the question, one of the most, most important questions we asked ourselves in the very beginning was, what is the church? We knew that was a very serious question, and we had to get that question right. We had to answer that question right. And by God's grace, we looked at his scripture. The consequences were too great otherwise. As we had already established from talking about the Reformation, the priority of what guided us was what? Was the scripture. Our priorities were not to draw bunches of crowds or, or to... That wasn't going to be our measure or our popularity, but our authority had to be the Scripture. And the Bible doesn't make suggestions. It doesn't just put its two cents in to help you guide your way in making these decisions when it comes to the church. But it is our authority on everything. And as we are and who we are, it defines us, and it defines and answers the question, what is the church? Jesus used the word church twice in the uh, Matthew's Gospels in chapter 16 and chapter 18. The word used that he uses is ekklesia, and it has the, word, the, Greek, uh, the root word of kaleo, means called out. And so when you put ekklesia and kaleo together, well, you get the called out assembly. 
this called out uh, assembly or a people that is called out. So what is the church? The church is those who have been called out by God's grace who regularly gather together where there are members and leaders who practice the ordinances and together by God's grace glorify him. And to know what the church does, what its purpose, we look to scripture again. We read this morning from Ephesians chapter 3. If you look at verse 10 again, it says, So that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be known. So the church does what? It proclaims something. It, it declares something. It reflects something. It images something to the world. Look at verse 21. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. The purpose of all humanity is to glorify God. We were designed and we were created to represent and reflect his likeness, his character, his glory as his image bears. But after the fall, after sin entered the world, the breaking of God's law, man became guilty and corrupt in our natures. We were separated from God. We still bore his image, but it was a very distorted image of who God is. And then throughout the Old Testament, we see the effects of the curse on humanity. Even God's people, who God called out to be his people, who he chose to put on his name, they continually rejected God. And they woefully fell short of his glory. And yet in God's providence, we see in the New Testament that God provided his son, Jesus Christ, who was the perfect display of the glory of God. And as God's perfect representative, Jesus paid the penalty for our sins and our, and our guilt before God. And now as the church, we are those who have been called out by grace, by faith, or through faith, by grace, to turn away from our sins, to trust in Christ alone, by faith alone, as their perfect representative. We're not made up of a people who we just try to make it to God on our own efforts by making ourselves better, by trying to do better, by trying to, to, to be more and more obedient. That doesn't get us to God. We see striving of that over and over and over in the Old Testament. But rather, as a people, we are free to admit that we are broken and that we are in constantly need of God. And that's only in him, in Christ, and the work that he has done, that we can be saved. And then that alone gives us the grace to live according to his word. Daily the Lord is conforming his church, his people, into the image of Christ through the ordinary means of, of grace. That we would be peacemakers, that we'd be, love our enemies, that we would forgive those who offend and hurt us. All of these things that God has shown us in his character and in his nature, particularly in his son, we are to reflect. And he has given us his Holy Spirit to empower us in order that we may do so. So what is the church? The called out. And what is the church to do? Reflect the glory of God. And how do we reflect the glory of God? How do we reflect then what God is like? 
by our holiness, by justice, by righteousness, by love, by how we forgive one another, by our mercy, by charity, by compassion, by grace, and by doing good. We reflect the glory of God. We worship God by displaying his likeness and to testify in his word in action to God's great redemptive work in Christ. So what does this all then mean for our church? What does this mean for Sovereign Grace Church? Well, again, first, God intends to use the life of his church, his people, to do what? To display what? Remember from verse 10, to the world his image. We are intended to display his glory for them to see us. Here's what that means. You and I display or reflect the image of God the way that we engage in this church. You cannot display love, peace, forgiveness, or patience if you're just sitting home by yourself. It's just you there. And there's no one there to irritate you. But at church, there's plenty of people to irritate you. There are plenty of people to offend you. And therefore, there are plenty of people then you will have to forgive and love and bear with. Because love covers a multitude of sins. And there's a multitude of people to serve there, to, to keep our eyes off ourselves and onto them. There's a multitude of people to care for. And when we do that, we are displaying the, characteric, the characteristics and the likeness of God. The likeness of people that have been saved by grace in Christ. How we do life together displays his likeness and his glory to a world that is nowhere near like that anymore. If there is a silver lining in the kind of ugly culture we're becoming and have become and continue to progressively become, it's that our lights will shine that much brighter in such darkness by how we love and serve and forgive as a church. Second, the church is marked off for the world to be a distinct people. Most of us are okay with being different from the, being different from the world in many ways, but the Bible calls us to be distinct. To be distinct. Distinctiveness, though, is then going to make you what? It's going to make you countercultural, like Jesus. Think about how, as a church, and for those who are new, you may not know, but you see a little bit this morning, oh, how we do things as a church. The way we do things have a direct intention to them because we're countercultural. We do countercultural things. And in an anti-authoritarian uh, anti age, we come, and what do we do? We cast all bounds of authority? No, we come and we submit ourselves under what? together the authority of the word of God. We submit ourselves to, to, to one another. We listen to the scriptures as our, our authority. In a shallow and rootless age, we want to, as a church, to be a distinct people. We want to unplug from our screens. We want to dig deep and be connected with our past. Yeah, we're weirdos. We talked about the Reformation today. You're not in our weirdness. How weird are we to look back at the Reformation? 
Today, people are afraid of earnestness. They're fearful of honesty and even silence. But as a church, we want to stand in being distinct in ways that display a deeper way of doing life together. We want to be connected with each other in honesty and earnestness and love and silence and in reverence. We're not, a hur- we're not in a hurry. We're not putting on some kind of well-choreographed show or, or program. We have a plan. We prepare, but it's not what moves us. Our distinctiveness is the gospel, and therefore we reflect God's image as his church, and that's going to make us a countercultural people. And third is our mission, our outreach, and our evangelism of the church is bound up with our distinctiveness. And our distinctiveness is display the character of God. So what's the point of bringing anyone or inviting anyone to a church if it's meaningless with no change and no distinctivenesses at all? What's the point? This is why church membership and discipline and discipleship are so important to us. If we, are allow, if we allow open, unrepentant sin into the church, then we might as well shut this whole thing down Because then we have nothing to offer, nothing distinctive to offer. No image that we are reflecting that's unlike our own. If I'm just reflecting my image, what good would that do any of y'all? But if I'm reflecting and displaying Christ, that does what? That builds one another up. And when you're displaying Christ to me, it's building me up. And I'm not saying we walk in perfection. We are far from that. But we can what? Reflect God's holiness and his grace in the gospel and being distinctive and shine as lights and shooting, shooting stars. Fourth, the church, as the church, we find life in the continual proclamation and the rehearsal of the gospel. The church is the people created by the gospel and shaped by the gospel. The gospel is our message of sin and God's love, Jesus' work on the cross and the resurrection from the dead and the new life that we could have in him through the forgiveness of our sins to all of those who repent and believe in faith. This is distinctly what Christianity is. Only the church can proclaim this message. And without the gospel, we would have no hope in living distinctively different from the world. You know, the reformers defined the church with two marks. They, they defined it as a church as one that preaches the gospel, and that's according to the five solas that we just talked about, into what? Also, observe the ordinances of the Lord's Supper and baptism. This morning, as a church, as a congregation, fundamentally, at its most basic level, we are displaying to the world what the church is, by taking of the ordinances, the Lord's Supper, and baptism, and the proclamation of the gospel. There is nothing more essential to being the church than what we're doing this morning together. And we do this through the word of God. And we live out the glory of God and display his likeness through listening to the word of God. Jesus himself is the very word of God The word that became flesh and dwelt among us. And he displayed for us perfect obedience to the the word of God and conformed his whole life to the scriptures perfectly. 
as the eternal Son and as the Word of God. And now as the church, all throughout the New Testament, the church is commanded to listen to God's Word and to be obedient. So we read it, we listen to it, we study God's Word so that we would know how to reflect God's glory and His likeness. And so our goal as a church, Sovereign Grace Church, is to be, re- is to be centered on God's Word. This is where the church rises and falls in whether or not the church listens to God's word. Music and programs do not kill churches, but it's when the church stops listening to God's word do they begin to die. Success in the church is not a building or people in the seats or programs, but in a church who listens to God's word. That is success. We preach the Bible, we read the Bible together, we sing the Bible, we pray the Bible, and we fellowship in the Bible. Isn't that good news then for us as a little church? We don't need these things, we don't need the things that the world has presented, but just the scripture alone. The measure of our faithfulness as a church is only measured by God's word. It's good to have a good reputation in our community. But building our reputation in Statesboro is not the measure of success. Our measure of success and faithfulness is how we live according to God's word. Can you see how this all went full circle from the very beginning, how we planted to the Reformation, to our church, and to what is the church? Sola Scriptura. Charles Spurgeon called the church the dearest place on earth. And this is the dearest place on earth because of the work of Christ in each of us. And as the church, we live and we strive by his grace to display and to reflect the image of our Savior to the world. And this is what Paul was getting at in Ephesians 3. That through us, our life together, God is showing what? His manifold wisdom. That it might be made known to all the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. The Christian life is shaped by the church, and this is what we are doing. Your life should reflect more and more of the image of God and his holiness and grace and love because you are a part of the church. It should be growing in those more and more, and it's worked out then in the church. And I I hope that for those who have been with us as members for the past five years or four years or three years or two years or one year or maybe just starting this morning, that, that you have grown in maturity and in the likeness and reflecting Christ in those days and in those times, but also seeing the necessity of doing it together, of doing it together with one another as the body of Christ. So I encourage you, as members of Sovereign Grace continue to press in, new members this morning, press in. Other people, if you're a member of a church, wherever you live, press into your local church. As long as it marks what a true church is and preaching the gospel and practices the ordinances, then press in. Then press into those churches and be gifts and grow together with them. Because again, there's no other place, the dearest place on earth. The church of Jesus Christ is a gift to God's people. And we see that displayed this morning. Let's pray. (coughs) 
Heavenly Father, we are so thankful and grateful to have gathered. We're so grateful and thankful to, to look back and see the little memorial of what you have done amongst us. Father, we are so thankful for your mercy. We're so thankful for your, your grace and your kindness. But we are also thankful for the church. Would you continue to bind us together as one body in Christ alone? Would you increase our fellowship and the maturity of our fellowship as we grow together in him alone? Lord, we are so thankful for what this day will represent and what this day will bring. We're thankful that we get to take the ordinances this morning, both of them, the Lord's Supper and baptism. And I pray, oh God, that we would rejoice in the good things that you have done for us as we see this and see them. Father, we thank you for your love and your kindness. We pray, God, for many more years together, if it be your will, but you continue to use us, continue to grow us for your glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.